This is hashtag Pass the Mic Youth. As the summer of 2020 comes to a close, our country's awareness of systemic racial injustice has grown significantly. Protests initially sparked by police brutality continue to speak out against appalling acts of violence, and a presidential election intensifies while citizens struggle through a pandemic. The events of this year have exposed many people to discussions of race for the first time for some people. Many are reading books on the subject or seeking out movies and other media to stay educated. In addition to this, we're all learning about the importance of articulating our own experiences and acknowledging the value that comes with reflecting on one's personal experience. Reflecting on our own stories can help us form a base for entering these kind of conversations in which we can expand our perspective by listening to others and then contribute to the never-ending learning process of life. When it comes to having actual conversations, though, it can be a little more difficult to know how to navigate them in an effective way. From not knowing specific vocabulary or having different levels of personal experience, there can be some challenges or intimidating factors to talking about race. We wanted to discuss some of these challenges while modeling what effective listening and sharing looks like. Hey guys. Hi, Mateen. Hey. <laughs> How are we all doing? You know, doing okay. These are definitely strange times. Um, for everybody who's listening, we are now all outside, uh, distanced from each other, uh, trying to record a podcast in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing something definitely a little bit different with this episode where it's just going to be us hosts talking um, about race and about how it affects our lives and affects society. Hmm. Yeah, I think we had some time last week to really think about the sorts of ideas and concepts that we wanted to address. And I think, you know, with so much going on and so many lives being hurt in the process, we really wanted to understand how we can have conversations that are open to everybody and include everybody so that everyone has a chance to be an activist and a a source of change. And one of the questions we were considering was then that we were going to ask each other was what is one of our earliest memories of recognizing that race plays a role in our community? Mm. Yeah, so I'm um, fine to go first here. I'm not exactly sure like what maybe timeline we're talking about in terms of earliest memories um but i just want to want to go back to something um in middle school that definitely impacted me a lot uh i'm from western north carolina sort of like near the border of tennessee which is not a super racially diverse place especially in like the specific area of the county that i grew up in um but i, I was maybe like 20 or so minutes away from more of like a, a, a larger population center of, of people. Um, and as part of a like sort of class, sort of nonprofit type thing that I was volunteering with, uh, we were working on creating um, and sort of maintaining a, a, a garden that was... Uh, like a community garden and 
this is, I think, sort of the first time I realized how segregated the area that I grew up in was. Um, how people um, were living in different areas because of the history of the area and the policies and the, the people in the community of the area affected where people grew up, which obviously affected a lot of other parts of our community. And that experience, I, I don't think I was really aware of the full like racial makeup of our community because it was so segregated at the time. And that, led me into trying to understand why that was. And that definitely really deeply impacted me. Um, and it's something that I've personally been trying to work on through like my own relationships with people in back home in my community, but also here at NC State to try to understand more about why that happened um i can go next so for context i'm black i'm a black woman originally i'm an immigrant came here when i was six years old from kenya with my family um and we first landed in durham and durham is definitely more diverse i would say um, than, for example, Wake Forest, which is where we moved to afterwards. And so I would say that I didn't really see race um, necessarily when I was younger as something that set me apart because my classrooms were so, I don't know if diverse is the right word because they were primarily black. So for like most of element, well, a little bit of elementary school, I, there were a lot of black kids in my class, and so I didn't feel, like, different from anyone. And so I didn't really think about that. The thing that made me feel different was being from a different country. <laughs> and that was primarily the, you know, the ostracization that I felt. But then when I moved into different classrooms, um, moved to Wake Forest, um, which is primarily white, um, I would say then I became sort of more aware of race and... Um, the feeling like an outsider because of it. That wasn't something I'd ever really experienced as a kid, which I guess is good, but it, I wasn't prepared for that. And um, yeah, so moving into like a middle school was when I really felt like I was in a primarily white space for the first time. And it felt, it felt, it, I hadn't really been prepared to confront something like that. And so I was like, I was not really thinking that it was necessarily a problem. I was just like, oh, this is weird. This is different. I mean, it's like starting a new school. So I was like, okay, maybe it's just like I feel there's a lot of new things going on. So new experiences. So it's fine that I feel like different or out of place or whatever. Um, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily, you know, bullied or targeted in any way really by it. Or if I did, I didn't really have the words. Like, they were probably microaggressions. And so I didn't really have the words to, like, describe how it felt. Um, but I would say definitely the first times that I had to think, that I started thinking about race regularly was high school. And thinking about, um, the you know, introducing, introduction, like, to the words of, like, 
PWI, predominantly white institutions, or even just race in general when I started taking like um, history classes and having debates in class and seeing the ways that where we were talking about the this, this subject like explicitly discussing race in America in history and that was the first time that I really ever felt like people had different even had to have an opinion on race like I just always sort of felt like something that existed for me was like blackness and that kind of thing and so I would say the really the first time that I had to even consider like race explicitly and discuss it was high school yeah I feel I had a similar experience as well um in high school I think because so I I grew up in Tucson Arizona for the first like 15 years of my life and uh I am for context I am a brown man I come from Iranian descent but I have lived in America most of my life so I that never really affected me that Iranian side if anything I was actually very very proud of it because I thought it was something unique but then it was when I entered middle school that like Nuera mentioned I had the opportunity to learn about certain events in history and I think specifically I don't know I think specifically learning about uh World War Two and World War One like helped me see how hatred can be manifested towards people because they look a certain way or believe in a certain thing, and that then made me reflect on who I was, especially because Iran has a or the Persian Empire or whatnot like has a big role in history. So I started to think about that more. But when I noticed race playing a role, oh. When I noticed race playing a role in my community was because I lived in Tucson, which has, uh, which is really close to the border of Mexico, the southern border of Mexico. And I noticed that when I would leave my neighborhood, I would start to see more Hispanic and black communities uh, around me. But when I went towards my neighborhood, I would see like people who I considered were white. And I was always used to it. I thought it was normal. And then when I started to become more active in my family's like, um, like community building life, like when we would go out and try to meet new people and do new things and uh, try to help certain communities, I realized the disparities that were present. I think one thing that was really shocking for me and realizing how race played a role in my community was going to like a shelter. And when we, our school, I think it was our middle school, made PB&J sandwiches, something very simple uh, for the homeless and poor. And when we went there, we served a majority of like immigrants and minority communities. And then I realized like, wait, why don't I see any white people here? Or as much as I see it in my neighborhood. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is wrong. And then I went, I had the opportunity to go to high school in an international school. So this is why I say, I think I learned more about race because I was, I was, I wrote, I noticed that compared to my international school, the middle school I went to was so white. Like, and I hadn't thought about it until, like, I think I had one black student in any of my classes in middle school. Um, and I went to a charter school, which means that they can bend the curriculum to try to give kids uh more opportunities in college so then it made me think like okay why are there no black students in my it's not because 
they can't take these classes because they're not given the chance to take these classes. And then I realized when I went to international school that, yeah, that's why. Because so, yeah, I think that's my earliest memory would be in middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, Noah, you said you your family, you said from Kenya, you came to Durham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the thing about Durham is that it is a sort of college town. Duke University is a lot of the reason that a lot of people are in Durham. Um, and it's the reason that we went there. My mother was attending the university. And so like a lot of college campuses, the campus itself is very white and Duke, especially, um, a lot of like white and Asian people generally were on campus and then the surrounding communities is is very primarily black and Hispanic and so even um, my school I think was quite diverse because it was a lot of black students a lot of Asian students a lot of white students as well but it just you know was sort of a more diverse experience than um, going to my middle school and yeah, I, I I had never really confronted, you know, I never really thought about um, race like that. I never really felt out of place. Yeah. You you mentioned like, I found it really interesting. Like you said, in certain classes you had, you started to have discussions, and you realized the way people were thinking about race. What were some of the things that, like, you noticed that they were saying that you didn't agree mm. with? I think we probably were all about the same age. So we were all in high school during the 2016 election. Mm. And so I don't know if we were all taking like history and like, you know, I was in AP government and politics during the election. And so definitely my teacher made use of um, the election as sort of discussion material was very like good about moderating debates and discussions. And that's really like stuck in my head as one of the times when I was most exposed to people like sort of sharing their opinions so openly, which I, I wasn't really, you know, I was used to more of like sitting and like taking in information from the teacher. And like, that was the, one of the first times that I felt like I was talking to other students. And I think like, you know, that was a very divisive time. And so when we were talking about even things in class, like certain policies and history or like talking about Reagan era stuff or talking about whatever it would all still come up and be in the context of what we were talking you know current politics and so hearing people talk about um things like um what's the word I'm looking for what's the word I'm looking for for like when you uh, affirmative action um we were all applying for college at the time and mm. so like things like affirmative action became discussions about race and discussions about um, welfare policies during history became discussions about race and like everything felt like it was a discussion about race and um, people were not so careful with how they were saying things and so it became hurtful about you know people hoarding you know why are these people taking our taxpayer money and you know whatever and um, well, you just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and like work for your money. We all work. Why can't you work? 
that kind of stuff. And so you, you don't realize, like, you sort of think that everyone thinks the way that you think and you don't see it until you're openly made to confront it <laughs> in, like, a classroom of, with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure, yeah, I'm, like, sure we all were in sort of high school at the same time. So I'm sure you guys also have stories about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely remember. Um, I think there was two times in high school where we tried to have some sort of debate around a topic and it did not go well um my high school was also i didn't share this at the beginning but for context also i'm a white man and my high school was extremely white um i never had uh let's see i think i think there i don't think my graduating class had a single black person in the class there was a few people Mm -hmm. in the high school but i like like I mentioned before, like I didn't really realize it until I had grown up a little bit more, but that my sort of county was very segregated in which part of the counties um, people were living. And my high school was definitely very diverse, like ideologically and like income socioeconomic level, but not at all racially. And so it didn't really come up for me in high school, but I, I wonder, like, about your experience, because it obviously stood out a lot to you. Um, Like, do you think that there was, like, anything that constructive that came out of having, like, a Mm debate-type format? Because I I feel like um, that all of our... It's really not a conversation, right? When you're trying to have, especially in high school, people are so opinionated, and they often, like, aren't really forming their opinions all the time by themselves. And so it's really hard to have a lot of like constructive dialogue about something where like there's actually a goal of maybe winning something you're actually changing somebody's view. Yes. Yeah. Which brings us, I guess, to our next question, which is what are the challenges when we talk about race? Um, I think you brought up one of them, which is that people, high school students especially are not, are often not forming their own opinions and are sort of being fed information from their parents' views, from social media, from whatever, which is, you know, these are all great places to learn things and like other people are a good place to like learn things from, but it's often not your own, you haven't, you haven't made up your mind about what you believe yet necessarily, not in all cases, a lot of people, a lot of high schoolers are very firm in their beliefs. Um, and so people are sort of maybe not at the same level like education wise, as far as certain topics and so some people are ready to discuss the nuances about certain policies and ready to to talk about like um you know talk about the intersection of race and gender and like all of these things and are sort of at a different level and other people haven't even like been exposed to other races like you know some people don't talk to black people on Mm. a daily basis just because of where they live and so you come into a classroom and you're being having like a debate or a discussion about um, affordable, uh, affordable or af- affirmative action, and you don't necessarily have the tools to discuss that, um, and so you 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 maybe pick up on like what you've heard about affirmative action from TV, from your parents, from whatever, um, and so it's sort of hard to have a conversation when people are just not on the same level, and um, it's also hard for people who maybe don't have personal experiences with these kinds of things. And so students in the class who have experiences with 
welfare, with food stamps, with all of these things know what they're talking about based on experiences that they've had. And so when they hear other people talking about, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, they have a whole wealth of experience with, well, my mom is already working two jobs and, you know, I, my sister has a job to also help pay the bills. And what do you mean pick myself up by the bootstraps? Like we're already doing everything we can and we still need the help from the government. Um, there's a level of personal experience that you reading about things just can't get you there. Like you have to be open to hearing other people's experiences because, you know, statistics and numbers and whatever can tell you, can only tell you so much um, before you need to hear about it from people who have experienced it or people who know what it's like to be in these places. So those are some of the challenges that come with that. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's so easy to be able to use like really big picture like either statistics or numbers or just like what you see other people talking about like very large picture things Mm -hmm. in a conversation or a debate to sort of support your beliefs that you already have but i definitely agree that like when you are really trying to talk about something with somebody in a small group Coming from your own personal experience, I think is is and, and personal experience of people you know, is a really important step in being able to, like, understand the impact of what you're talking about, especially like in your own community, right? Just because everywhere looks so so different, and being able to put it in that local context can, I think push the conversation to something that like really has a lot of meaning in your personal life instead of talking especially with like younger people um and uh, not younger people i would just say people who like aren't experts obviously in some like policy or something like bringing that up i think a lot of times isn't helpful to actually getting to common ground between everyone Yeah, you know, for one thing that comes to mind for me is like how because I so easily assimilated to my surrounding, like when race became such a pervasive idea in my life and I realized I needed to uh, enact change for justice, I was already surrounded by so many people who felt the same. So it was actually really motivating and, and it like like strengthened my uh, inspiration to like really learn more about it. But then when I like encountered, like what I was saying, others who felt differently and saw things differently, I was sort of like, I don't know how to explain it. I was already around people who agreed with the, what, my, my ideas. And so it was actually really even more difficult because the fluidity of the conversation was really hard and like I felt like I hit a brick wall if I said one thing that I firmly believed in but then that individual said something else and then I had to learn about how to have a conversation that's um like you were mentioning Luke is not a debate but rather a, a collective discussion where we're trying to understand something together and I didn't know I still I think I'm still learning I don't know how to uh engage in a conversation with someone like that uh off the bat, like, you know, saying, hey, you know, 
I really feel like because of what's happening in the world right now, especially in the state in the United States, there's just a level of conversation we need to have so that we can understand what's mm-hmm. happening and try to mm-hmm. really tap at the root of the issue. And then from there, you can, no matter where you come from, you can have a conversation that doesn't necessarily lead to an answer, but rather like leads to your understanding being advanced. Even if it's like small, I think it's because to think that we can change the world through one conversation is really hopeful, but also really unrealistic. And, and that's hard though, to think like, man, this is going to take a long time. And that's the challenge I think I've encountered is that when you talk to people who dis disagree with your view, like they want the answer to be absolute and definite Mm -hmm. and right then and there rather than like oh this is going to take time and we have to be committed and that there needs to be like a level of effort given that kind of doesn't fizzle out until you fizzle out physically <laughs> like until mm-hmm. you go like you know otherwise we can't leave anything behind yeah but i want to jump in really yeah. quick again um because it i think that it like along the lines of what you're saying it's really important to have a goal for the conversation that you're talking about and like understand why you are talking about race in the first place and where you're hoping it is going to like if if you're talking about it with people who don't have the same personal experiences as you Mm -hmm. uh i I think that is important to think about too um because i remember my i want to say it's like first or second week of college there is a a program here where there's different sort of cultural events that you attend um some of it is music some of it is conversation some of it is uh presentations and so this was a i think it's called like a fishbowl conversation where we were watching a conversation about uh the experience of black students at a primary white institution like nc state um in a auditorium there's like 400 people or so maybe watching this conversation and it was like i think maybe 15 people which we're having which one i think maybe that was um too many people to actually have a conversation with so i think that's an important thing to think about is is like the size of the the people of the group that you're working with but it felt like the discussion was going like flipping a lot between like understanding the experiences that people had and also trying to create change um, at the same time and getting people in the audience potentially to change their actions. And I remember speaking to people about that event because I remember just feeling so much frustration expressed by the people on stage who were having that discussion about their own experiences. But I felt like so much of the conversation um was maybe geared towards people who had been in that space and was able to understand where that frustration was coming from and like obviously in my second week of or like first week on campus i really didn't under understand that um Mm -hmm. and i i don't think i could take what they were hoping people to change and to learn from it away from that conversation. And I, I remember a lot of other students who were watching that conversation uh, felt a similar way that they, they didn't feel like they understood that personal experience better by the end of it. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think like the the points you guys are making about sort of having intent and focus as you enter a conversation with like, I'm here to educate or I'm here to persuade or I'm here to, you know, just knowing what you're going in, what the purpose of the conversation is really helps, I think, because having a conversation that's a debate and your intent is to persuade is very different from having a conversation mm -hmm. where you're just like, for example, sharing your personal experience with something. And for a lot of, like if you're having a conversation, you know, with white people, black people, brown people, people of all like races and you're, you're just having a, a conversation, it's really important for like, if you're talking specifically, for example, about black people in America and race to know what you're what you're trying to do because i think for a lot of black students you feel like okay i think you want to prioritize the voices of black people in the conversation because you want to hear about their personal experience and you want to hear about you know what they think because you're talking about the experience of black people in america but also there's a sort of burden to um share your for lack of a better word, trauma and your experiences with these people to convince them that like what I'm talking about is real and the problems with race are real. And here's why, let me tell you about every single time I've been profiled. And it's like, well, you don't need to do that. And, and you don't need to feel like you need to do that. Um, I think about it in a way, like when you're taught like in high school about how to write an, write an essay, a convincing persuasive essay, you have like pathos, ethos and logos. And so for a lot of people, the logos, if you're if you're trying to debate, people are ready for that. And they have all their statistics about, you know, 14 percent of black people commit more crimes than I don't know how many, whatever. Like they have like their rhetoric ready to combat whatever you're about to say. And so the logos feels like it doesn't work. And the pathos is so exhausting if you're a black person, if you're trying to like share your like you know that i was pulled over by a cop one time and i was scared for my life mm. like feeling like you have to share that in front of people who maybe are even strangers or um even if you do know them it's just like constantly bringing back up all of the things that you've experienced things that you've seen you're talking about people who you know their murder was recorded on video like constantly having to do that is something that i i really feel like especially students, like young black students should not feel like they have to do. And I feel like that's really important when you're talking about having these conversations is like, if you're just there to, um, you know, talk about race in America or just talk about your personal experiences, do not feel like you have to, you know, have the burden of reliving things that you don't want to share or to convince people. Cause it's exhausting. <laughs> and so it's good to, it's, it's definitely very good to prioritize, you know, the voices of black students in these conversations or whatever population that you're discussing in their experience. But it's also important to remember not to make them, um, I guess, like figureheads or like, you know, the representative of their race. And so like, we're mm -hmm. going to talk about black students in America. Okay. Black kid talk now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that shouldn't have to be what happens for an effective conversation to take place, if that makes sense. So going in with a, with a purpose and knowing what your intent is and knowing that you're trying to engage with all of your students and not just, you know, your black students or um, just your white students or, you know, like making sure that you, you, you have a balanced conversation is important, I think, um, even while you're trying to listen to black voices. 
That was such a great point. I I couldn't agree more. And I think about how, again, you mentioned intention. Like, you know, how often, let's use the black community as an example. Like, how often do we hear the cries for change and the requests for transformation? And yet we put it to the side and then we ask, oh, but let's, let's, I want to know what happened. Like, I want to hear what happened. But it, it's like, you know, Black, black Lives Matter, that statement, is something that is so obvious to black people. So they don't need to prove that they had certain experiences over and over again to justify their claim. Like, obviously, their claims for change and their, and their, pleads, their pleads for transformation... Should I wait? No, it's good. So, like, obviously, their claims for change and their pleads for transformation are informed by these traumatic experiences that they've had. And I had this, uh, I had a, I'm taking this course right now in university called um, Education and Equity. And I wanted to read really quickly something that I took notes on that I thought was really an interesting observation that said how, I mean, some of this is pretty obvious. So it says like, dominant groups perpetuate and promote certain mainstream ideas. And then this consequently misinforms the understanding of an issue. Let's say like the characteristics, the attitudes and habits of black people. But then the minoritized groups, they have a strong grasp of the reality, right? They know the injustice that they're experiencing, but then they have limited access to scholarly language and such to like then express and discuss it in an academic context. And I think about that at university, how so many students are taking this time to really learn the history and the academic language necessary to engage in discourse that will affect change. Because... That's the, that's, this is an obvious example of achievement gap and opportunity gap that, oh, you know, they're sharing their experience, but the language they use is not quote unquote proper or the jargon they're using is not quote unquote appropriate. So then it lessens their experience's value. And that's not true. Like just, so yes, there is a disconnect between academic language and experience, but we shouldn't use that as a way to, to discount what someone's saying. Mm. So that needs to be bridged. And I think we as university students, as youth, are the bridge. Like, we're going we're gonna to learn the right history, for example. We're going to mm. learn the, the right language, and we're going to share that with people mm. in our conversations so that we can connect hearts to, like, everyone, <laughs> not just the majority. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like what you said, Noor. I think you put it so well. Yeah. Mm. I think the like focus on also what you said, understanding history and understanding like the wider social context and the like understanding that not your like that your experience is often due to things in your community and in your country that you haven't had a lot of control over mm -hmm. is so important in being able to talk about your own experience and, and why some of that comes about. Because if we can understand, I think, a lot of the history, which in high school debate maybe doesn't come up quite as much, or at least in, in, in my 
conversations that I, I had with people, like that wider context. Because um, I think that's that's maybe where you can actually bring in some of, of that like policy discussion, right? Like understanding how actions by different groups of people affected like, the present reality of today. Um, and I think that that's maybe how we can sort of start a conversation moving towards actually mm -hmm. approaching change and how can we make change in mm -hmm. our communities. I think for our listeners, one thing that's helped me um, is to understand, I think Nuera mentioned this, which was so important, like how she didn't recognize a microaggression in the beginning because like, I mean, you can obviously speak to this more. I don't want to speak for you, but because like you weren't aware of it, mm -hmm. like it was either something you were used to, but you didn't think it was explicit. So it didn't count as racism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the Anti-Defamation League uh, has this pyramid. It's like a infographic pyramid called the Pyramid of Hate, which is really incredible because it shows how small acts of hatred lead to large acts of violence. Like, you know, the Anti-Defamation League is specifically focused on the Holocaust. So the genocide is the is at the top but at the bottom are just really simple things like the way we think about someone or the attitudes we have or the language we use towards them so i think i've noticed how having an understanding of that pyramid to to a small extent like helps you express why these basic things that we say about people that are wrong can lead to horrible things in the future mm -hmm. and we're already seeing examples of targeted violence and such so i found that helpful it just as an example, like knowing history and then using it through this lens of this pyramid of hate has been really helpful. Yes. Yeah. And I think that um, overall, when you're having these conversations, you're not going into them hoping to come out an expert or hoping to come out, you know, got now I got now I get it all done. Like you prioritize listening, especially for people who this is your first time talking about race or this is your first time hearing about people talk about their experiences with race. Um, you want to go in listening and you want to come out with a new perspective or new information that makes you curious or, um, you know, like if people, you, you may not be an expert the first time and you probably will never be an expert. I don't think that necessarily people are experts on people's personal relationships with race, but, um, it's supposed to make you think, make you aware. And if somebody uses a word you don't know and they talk about their personal experience with microaggressions and you've never heard of microaggressions before, you you know leave, maybe look up the word, and then mm. the next time you have a conversation about race, you're more educated. Mm -hmm. um, you're more aware. And just like it's supposed to be a constant process. And so I think also that has ties back into the idea of going in with intent. Mm. So not just when you're talking, but also when you're listening, you go in with the intent that like, I'm not here to become an expert on race. I'm not here to listen to black people talk one time. And then next time the conversation happens, I'm here to speak for black people. Like that's not what you're here to do. Um, I think it's just really important to go in ready to learn, open to learning and, um, when people say like, you know, I'm just like learning and listening, it's become a sort of like key thing that people just like say. And they're like, you know, I'm, I'm just like listening and learning, but like truly you should be listening and you should be learning. And that's the whole point of having these conversations. And so I think that's also really important to remember. Like probably one of the most important things to remember is that 
everyone is there to listen. Cause even, mm-hmm. I mean, even myself, I don't want to speak for all black people, but like myself as a black woman, when I have these conversations, it's, I also learn, like I learn, you know, white people who never had to think about race. And like, that's kind of wild to me, but like, it's eye opening in the way that you talk about these things. And so when you say things like, you know, when you're talking about your own personal experiences, you sort of have context for different different people's experiences with race is not the same as yours and I think everyone can learn in one of these conversations like it's it's I think maybe sometimes it feels like you know black people are there to teach or people of any marginalized community when you're having these conversations you're there to teach and then like you know white people are there to learn which like I don't think is maybe necessarily the most helpful mindset even though it maybe might be true but like it's good to go in with everyone sort of ready to learn, ready to hear, and, like, ready to understand each other's personal experiences and ideas, Um, not necessarily, you know, different hierarchies of people in the conversation. I think that is a good thing to talk about, um, like, with the group of people that you're having a conversation with, especially if everybody comes from different backgrounds, is is to really um, take be open to sharing your own experience with everybody else if you feel comfortable in doing that because that can definitely be a very hard thing to do and it's important for the group to like not put pressure on people to actually like need to talk about traumatic experiences and and share that with the group but also to at the same time make that safe space as safe as possible for everybody to be able to share their own personal experiences so that everybody actually can listen and and learn from each other mm-hmm. i think um mateen uh is maybe having to go to class now and we've <laughs> no it's good i enjoyed this a lot talking uh for a long time but i feel like this is a, a, a really good. helpful conversation mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. For everybody to continue having, and I, I really like what Nuera said also about like being able to take what you learned from your personal conversations with people, but then also do your own research and do, try to do your own understanding and, and take that personal experience and, and maybe question that further on your own time and look up things that you don't maybe understand and try to understand more of the history of, of what made um, like those personal experiences like maybe a norm for mm-hmm. somebody. Uh, so I, for me, I think that's one really big takeaway is like being able to share, being able to listen, and then being able to learn mm-hmm. and apply that somewhere else. And for everyone who's listening, like you are a protagonist, like you have a role in this and you can do it. Like it will take time, you know, everyone's threshold for understanding is different and that's okay but we won't know how far we can get unless we don't make a collective effort. First, an individual effort, of course, and then a collective effort with those that we build strong relationships with. But we're really excited to kind of like do this together. Like, um, and in these trying times, we need, we, we need to have spaces where we can find peace. So peace in mind. So I look forward to hopefully more of these kind of things. Me too, me too.
We really appreciate the time that you, our friends and listeners, have taken to join in on our conversation here in this episode of Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth. Since recording this episode, even more has developed and unfolded as the fight for racial justice and equity continues. And it says a lot about how these conversations we're aiming to have aren't just a one-time thing. It's sort of like a skill or a habit that we're trying to develop, and that takes a lot of time and effort. Time and effort that we're all capable of putting in. So, in an endeavor to continue the conversation, the co-hosts of Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth, Nuera, Luke, and I, plan on releasing more of these kind of episodes as we aim to learn about how to refine the way we constructively and mindfully speak about this important topic, which is racial justice and equity, as well as other important topics in our lives. We invite you to look out for our upcoming episodes featuring discussions between Nuera, Mateen, and me. Also, check out our website, PassTheMikeYouth.com, where you can find helpful reflection questions to guide how you may approach conversations on race in the future. Hashtag Pass the Mike Youth is a product of NC State Extension, but does not necessarily reflect its views.